So, you know, we're in this unique look of 1 Peter over the past, well, we started back in September, if you remember. Took a little break for stewardship and Advent and those things. We picked it back up last week. And 1 Peter's an interesting book, right? I mean, I mentioned it last week. I won't do the full recap again. But if you remember, 1 Peter's written in the context of really this single truth. Life is really hard. Peter was riding to a scattered group of believers all over Asia Minor. Um, from the Mediterranean to the Black Sea. They were living in intense persecution. It was very real. Life was extremely hard. And he's not writing to really address one significant problem or to rebuke a heresy like a lot of Paul's letters. Peter's actually writing to them to send them encouragement and to remind them of a couple important things. The first thing he wants to remind them is that they're not alone. Even though as a follower of Christ, you are scattered, you may feel alone, you may be on the far end of what you know as the world, you are not alone. You're not alone for two reasons. One, because God is Emmanuel. He is God with us. His promise is that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are not alone there. But also, there are people that God has placed in your life, um, a community of people, the church, whatever that may look like and whatever form it may take where you are, that are here to be a part of your story, to be a part of your life. And therefore, you're not alone. And that truth is for us, right? Because a lot of times when we walk through difficult situations in life, when life is hard, we feel very alone. We look around and we don't see anybody else walking through it. They don't talk about it. We bury our problems really well. We hide from each other in church really well. And so we look around and we think we're the only ones struggling in our marriage, struggling with our kids, struggling with financial life or whatever it is. And we gaze upon everybody and we say, why do I feel like this? And so we hide again. And what's happening then, too, because they don't want to have to deal with the reality of those struggles. And Peter's saying, look, you are not alone. I want you to remember that. He also says, I want you to remember that you are called to something great. You've been called to life, actually. That there is hope and joy and purpose in every single breath, even the most difficult ones to take. Even the most difficult life situations, there is opportunity for hope, joy, and purpose. And what Peter's going to do in this book is explain that it's not hope and joy and purpose when we get to the end of the suffering, when we get to the end of the difficulty, when we get to the end of that situation, we find relief. It's actually hope and joy and purpose in that very moment, which means in those most difficult moments that we face in life, we are not alone and God has purpose in that moment. And that we don't need to always look to get past it as much as we need to look to find life in it. It's a really different change of way of thinking about things. So we've been exploring that for all these weeks. I think this is week 10 now, and, and I told you last week, this little section we're in is kind of exploring this idea of being called to life through the lens of suffering. And last week we talked about suffering at the hands of unjust relationships, right? Relationships with people that are really hard. And we talked about how difficult people are and how hurtful people can be. Even the people you love or you know or you trust the most can be painfully hard in our lives. We talked about how we work to harmony, right? We live in compassion. We love as brothers. We're all, we talked through all those things. All because we have this great promise from God that we can love life and see good days. And we're called to sing as a believers, right? To not treat insult with insult, evil for evil, all those things. But in the midst of difficult relationships, to believe, truly believe, that God's great promise to us is that we can have a life that we love and we can see great days. We explored kind of all that. Well, Peter's, we're going to pick up where he left off, and Peter's going to continue this idea of suffering, but he's going to move it over to an angle to talk about, but, but what about suffering when I'm not really doing anything wrong? Like, what if my heart is eager to do good, and I'm actually loving people really well, or I'm doing my best to live in harmony with, 
and suffering still happens? How do I live in the moment where, you know, it's not like I brought this on or I made a series of bad choices and I'm kind of living in the consequences of those. But what about life when I'm actually feeling like, God, I'm honoring you and I'm trusting you and my heart is eager to do good and suffering still comes? How do I live and find joy and hope and purpose in those moments? Because those moments, what we're going to learn, how we respond and live in those moments is what truly matters. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to continue right where we left off in verse 13, I think, 13. And we're going to explore this idea of suffering even when we're living and doing good. And what Peter's going to call us to. So you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And as we're doing that, let's take a, just a quick moment, pray, ask God to teach us and show our hearts His truth. And then we will sort of dive into it together. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive. It's alive. You say that. You tell us it's living and active. It's not dead. It's not worthless. It's not a doorstop. It's not antiquated. It's not something from a past history. It is living and breathing. You actually call it the Theopunestos, the breath of God. All scripture is God-breathed. It is the breath of God. It is alive and it is true. And therefore, Lord, it is not a guide for our life. It is a very anchor upon which our soul rests. And so we believe in an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. And we do not take it lightly. And we want to learn. We want you to teach us. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Just doesn't have to be something gigantic or earth-shattering. Just something that your heart or soul needs to know or needs to hear. Just say, Lord, teach my heart. Teach my heart. And take a moment and pray for someone around you. We do this each week. I always say the same thing. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Be a person that prays for other people, even your spouse, even your neighbor, whoever it is right there. You may not even know their name. Just pray that God would move in them. Pray that you would teach their soul. Lord, we turn our morning over to you. We believe that you are at work always and forever, that you are in total and absolute control. We trust you. And through the lens of suffering and difficulty, Lord, we ask that you would shine a beautiful light to give us wisdom on how to think and live and address it. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, right, we wrapped up that little portion about suffering at the hands of sort of unjust people or unjust relationships or how to do life when People are really hard when you feel like that you have loved them and they are awful to you. We talked about what that looks like. And Peter's going to take that same vein. He's going to twist it just a little bit and say, but what happens when you do all that correctly and life still doesn't get better, right? You still suffer. Like what happens when you suffer for doing what's right? Like how do we live in the middle of that what seemingly is injustice? So this is what Peter says. Look at verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So Peter starts off and he says this. He says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? It's not a, a real question. It's not like he's asking for a show of hands or what's his name, Rick or Steve or whatever. He's saying a, a really rhetorical statement like who in the world would harm you if you're doing good? And it's a pretty true statement. The idea is if you're eager to do good and you're living a good life and you're treating people with kindness and respect and loving them as family and being compassionate, all the things we talked about last week, it severely shrinks the number of people that want to harm you, right? That's a statement like who wants to harm the person that does good? Now think right now in your head of the most beautiful, kind, and souled person you know on the planet, right? Who wants to harm that person? They're kind, they're sweet. He's saying, listen, who wants to harm the person that does right? Now, you usually want to harm the person that is difficult, slanderous, steals, whatever, gossips, berates, whatever they do to you, the person that's awful, the person that is, speaks against you, that always wants to argue, like that's the person, right, that you have tension with that wants to harm you. But if you're not a person that lives into those things, Who's going to harm you for being eager to do good? So Peter makes a kind of statement that says, if you want to do away with a lot of the relational strife in your life, if you want to do away with a lot of relational interpersonal tension and struggle and feel like people are always against you, then have a heart that's eager to do good. If you want to significantly cut down on the difficulty in relationships, orient your heart to the things we talked about last week. Attempt to live in harmony with. And you will watch the contentiousness in your life shrink. If you have a ton of people in your life that are always causing problems and difficulties, and it seems like you've got relationships that are really hard, you might want to ask yourself, who's the problem, right? Why do you have so many and Kathy Cross has never had any? Huh? Right? Yeah, a lot of questions. The truth is, is that if you're eager to do good and love people and live in harmony and be kind and gentle and compassionate, you have less people in your life, right? This is what Peter's saying. He does say, however, it doesn't mean that there are zero. He says, you are eager to do good, right? Who wants to harm you? Very few. However, there is a reality here. But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. So this is what he says. He says the number is actually not zero. Meaning there's going to be times in your life where you feel like you are doing everything 100% correct. In terms of I am honoring the Lord. I'm living right. My heart is eager to do good. I feel like my behaviors are driven by the right things. I'm kind to my mom. My brother doesn't hate me. Like all these things. I feel like these are happening. Why is suffering starting to happen? He says, but if you still suffer. Meaning there will be times in life when it is not your fault and you will face suffering at the hands of people or at the hands of a person or at the hands of the world, right? Because perfect behavior does not mean that we won't struggle. Significantly reduces the amount of interpersonal tension. However, it doesn't mean there's not going to be struggle. The truth is, is that life is hard. No one escapes it, right? It's difficult, and there are going to be times that you suffer that you feel like it's super unjust. Like I did 
correctly. I forgave them. I called them. I did this. I'm, I'm reoriented my heart. I've been compassionate. I love them as brothers. I've done all the things you said last week, Peter, to do. But yet they're still awful to me. And they still make my life a living problem. Right? I mean, you can say hell. If Brandon can say damn, I can say hell. Right? I mean, surely. I get in less trouble for that. They want to make your life that way. Why? But they do. So this is what Peter says. But when you do suffer, even those moments, you are blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but suffering does not sound like and or feel like blessing to me. Now, it may be to you, and you may be awesome with it, but the truth is suffering does not feel like blessing. It actually feels like something very different. And oftentimes in Scripture, it is different. God uses suffering, correction, rebuke, to train and teach our hearts. You can't read scripture and escape it. A lot of times God does that because he's teaching us. But almost always we know what he's teaching us. We're just at a full run from him. So we know like Jonah that God has called us to something and we're living in disobedience. As God is correcting and directing our paths. And we're doing our best to pretend he's not calling us to that. And so we have this contentious and tension relationship, right? That's what we're doing. But the truth is, right, in the middle of all that, sometimes suffering... It's just suffering. But Peter says something really incredible about it, right? He says sometimes in the middle of that suffering, when it happens, you have got to remember that you are blessed. Now, we could talk about blessing a lot. I could actually give you a, a ton of examples of why blessing is this and why suffering is blessing. And we could jump to James. We could talk about Matthew. We could show all these things. But we don't have a ton of time for it. But I'm going to basically say there are two ways you can respond to suffering that happens in your life. And then we're going to get to the meat of what Peter says. Two ways. One, you can be upset about it. You can typically respond like I do. You can be frustrated. You can be bitter. You can be angry. You can go, God, I've done everything you've said. I've been kind. I've tried to do all these things. Why does this stuff still happen to me? And we can throw tantrums like a two-year-old that didn't get a third ice cream cone, which is what I usually do. I get frustrated. God, why is this happening? I thought you said you would take these things. Why am I still living in the middle of all this? And I'm frustrated and bitter, and I want to be done. I can choose to live that way. That is absolutely a choice. Or two, I can choose to see what Peter's saying, which is, when this does happen, when you do suffer, remember you are blessed. And I'm not saying that you look at your life and say it could be worse. That's not the same thing as seeing your life as blessing. That's ridiculous. It actually always could be worse. Always. I know you're thinking of a scenario where it couldn't. There's a scenario on top of that where it actually could be. That's not seeing blessing. That's just kind of going like whatever. I mean, I guess it's, you know, I'm better than whoever, whatever. The truth is that seeing blessing in your life is a mindset that has to be oriented to a belief that God is who he says he is. In the middle of all of your suffering, it doesn't define you or own you or control you. And you have the response to suffering in one of those two ways. I can respond by being frustrated that so-and-so has never done a good thing in their life, and they don't suffer at all, and all I do is good things, and somehow I'm 50 grand in debt, carrying a load for my brother, taking the family in, doing whatever, right, paying for a vacation, like all that bitterness can well up in our soul. We can choose that. We can choose to say, okay, Peter says, I'm blessed. Well, how am I blessed? 
right? Because I, I'm drawing breath or I live here in America or I have access to food. Well, yes, yes, yes. But he's going to tell us some real specific reasons about what that blessing actually and truly looks like. And it's not a tangible thing like I've got food and other people don't. It's a true blessing from actually being in a life that has a relationship with Jesus that changes everything. And this is what he says. This is how he's going to talk about blessing. He goes, remember, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. So the first thing he says is, let me show you your blessing through the lens of fear. Do not fear what they fear. Some of your versions may say, do not be afraid of their threats or do not fear their threats. But the literal translation there is actually, do not let their fears be your fears. So do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now think about that for just a moment. As a follower of Christ, you do not have to be afraid of what the world is afraid of. You don't have to be afraid of the threats of people, of humans, of man, of companies, of businesses, of life, of whatever. If you believe that God is who he says he is, then you are no longer a slave to fear. You are no longer subject to its direction. You have a God that has promised more. My favorite picture of this, and there's a bunch of them, but my favorite picture of this is Psalm 27 where David is facing pressure from all of his enemies and he believes he's going to die. This is what he says in that psalm. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army may besiege me, my heart will not fear. One thing I ask of the Lord and what I seek is may dwell in his house all the days of my life, and gaze upon his beauty and seek him in his temple. So he says this, the world is pressing in on me, and all I have done is said yes to your call to be king. You sent Samuel out to anoint me as king, I say yes, and now the world wants to kill me at the hands of Saul, the other king. I just said yes to you. But here's what I believe. I believe that you are God, that you are absolutely and total in control, and that you are my light and my salvation and my stronghold. Those are the words he uses. You are my light, means you guide me in darkness. You are my salvation, meaning this world is not the end for me. There is a greater promise that begins in this day and carries me into eternity. And you are my stronghold, my dwelling, or my house, my fortress. That's what that word means. So of whom shall I be afraid? Another rhetorical question, meaning no one. Like what in the world is the world going to do to me to topple those things? Salvation, light, fortress. You know what people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know what they fear? Everything, right? She's going to finish for me. That's good. Because that's true. Because they'll never be able to say, I have, I have safety, I have comfort, I have light, I have salvation, I have a fortress. The world is petrified because the series, the world is a series of toppling waves of which there is no end in sight. It comes and it comes and it comes and eventually you die. The world walks in that way. But as a follower of Christ, we don't see life as a series of waves that come to try and knock us down. We see life as a series of waves that we get to ride and move through, trusting and believing that God is who he says he is, that those waves cannot and will not ever topple and destroy. Because he is my light and my salvation and my fortress. And I rest in that. And so one of the greatest blessings that we have as followers of Christ is not that God has given us things and stuff. It has nothing to do with any of that. 
It's that in the middle of life suffering, we can actually say I am blessed because God is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. Meaning I don't have to do it on my own. If I think about my life without Christ, you know what I'm most afraid of or most fears me the most of thinking about life without Jesus is the alone, the idea of being and trying to take this on alone. I can't imagine the overwhelming pressure and fear of trying to guide a family, raise a child without a belief that God is in this. I am a disaster, like literally a disaster. (laughs) Brandon's not, he's good to go. But that's the truth, right? So the idea and blessing that we have Peter says, you are blessed. You want to know one of the major reasons why? Is because you don't have to fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. Now, this great and incredible promise is so true, but it's one of those that we have a really hard time buying into. We, even though we know that we've been told not to be afraid, even though we're told not to fear what they fear, we still let the world speak those things in us. And a large part of the Christian life is taking the lies of the world and continually, daily kicking them out of our hearts. Looking at ourselves and going, I'm not buying that garbage. I'm not. I know that's a lie. That fear doesn't have to seize me. It doesn't own me. I'm not afraid. What's the worst that anyone can do to me? Nothing. They don't define me. They don't describe me. I lose a job. I lose a friend. I lose whatever. That's not the descriptor of my life. Yes, it hurts, but it's not who I am. The world can do nothing to me because God is my light and my salvation and my stronghold which means when everything goes sideways, I still have Jesus, right? So he says the first part of this blessing is to understand that I have to fear what they fear. I have to be afraid. So whatever it is that you're facing today, right? Like when you stand it up against that, how big is it really? He goes on to say, Peter goes on to say this. Let me explain the second part of this blessing to you. He says, do not fear what they fear. Don't let your hearts be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. So the second one comes in an assumption in the back end of verse 15. So Peter assumes something uh, that all believers are going to have that's going to cause the world to ask questions. He says this, right? Set apart Christ as Lord. We'll get to that in a moment. He says, set, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have to anyone who asks. So he assumes that as a follower of Christ that is standing in suffering, you are going to have hope in that moment, and it's going to cause the world to ask a bunch of questions. So always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. In other words, the world's going to look at you and say, why are you not losing your mind, freaking out? Why are you so hopeful? Why are you so joyful? Why are you so compassionate? Why are you all those things? Peter's assumption is is that the follower of Christ sees suffering differently. And because they see and live in suffering differently, the world is not going to understand it. It's kind of how the world see, or followers of Christ sees death. Incredibly awful and traumatic and hard. But there's this underlying peace that says, with Jesus, this is not the end. Right? That God is eternal. And we have this incredible promise of a glorious forever with him. But the world's not going to understand that apart from Christ. And the world is not going to understand how you can find hope and joy in suffering 
And so they're going to come with their questions. And so Peter says, be prepared. Because when you see your suffering as blessing, it's going to turn the world upside down. They're not going to get it because they want to punish you. That person wants to hurt you. But when that happens, and instead of retaliating insult with insult, anger for anger, evil for evil, like we talked about last week, when you see it as blessing and you're not afraid of them or what they're afraid of, and you just draw your energy and strength from the Lord and say, God, I am yours, the world will come with questions and say, how do you have so much hope when things look so crappy? Right? And he says, so be ready to give them an answer. And he doesn't tell you what the answer is because the answer is obvious, right? I have no reason. The only reason I have is because, well, it's just Jesus. I don't know. I can't really even explain it. Have you ever tried to explain that to somebody? How difficult life is, but still you believe that God is God? And they're like, that doesn't it help me. And you're like, well, it helps me. <laughs> but there's a, a caveat there that's really important. And he sets it up at the beginning of 15. Because you don't just get to that idea of anchor of hope, right, and suffering without it. And that first part is, but set apart Christ as Lord. This is really powerful, right? We've talked about the Lordship of Christ here a trillion, zillion times. The idea of the Lordship of Christ is that Jesus is, yes, Messiah, yes, he is the Christ, yes, he is the anointed one. But when we call Jesus Lord, we're actually saying something more than he is just the one that has come we're saying that he is Lord of my life, meaning that he is in all and through all, and I am servant to him, that he is in control of all of my days and my thoughts and my life and my direction, and I live to serve him. He is my Lord. And when we call Jesus Lord, we acknowledge his sovereignty. And the idea of sovereignty is the idea that God is in complete control of all things. All things move because of who he is, and he holds all things together. Now, when you say Jesus is Lord and you believe those truths, what can suffering do? If my life is yet to be the, to serve him, and I believe that God is in control of all things, and I believe that the air doesn't move without his hand, and I believe that he holds all things together, everything Colossians 1 says, in him all things hold together. If I believe that sovereignty, then standing on an anchor of hope, that makes the world question is easy. But without Christ as Lord, it's just outsourced optimism. It's like, right, like I've said before, it's like trying to make Jesus-flavored lemonade, right? Like it's like, I don't know, it's just words. But if you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, if you, if you have settled in your heart to do that, Jesus, I don't understand. This is really hard. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know that I ever will. The pain I'm walking through or the pain someone else is walking through, whatever it is. But I, I've set you apart as Lord. Meaning I don't have to have every answer. I don't have to be, have every explanation. I don't have to be su sufficient in all my understanding. You are Lord and none of that changes. You are always on the throne and therefore I always will have hope. And the world will say, how? Don't you think we're all going to die? Yeah, we actually are. But I'm not afraid of that, right? I told this story. Oh, I don't know. When we started this back in September when I, I got a phone call. And, and this is not a, a political statement one way or the other. I got a phone call from someone that a couple years ago when, when the elections were over. And this person was just sobbing. And they're like, what are we going to do? We're not, it's, not, it's all doom. Like everything's awful. And I said, yeah, but here's the one thing we can bank on, right? Jesus is still Jesus. He's still Lord. And I've set that apart in my heart. 
I don't care who's elected, when or where. Like, we'll navigate those things as they come because we have set apart Christ as Lord. And it gives us a hope that is different from the world. So Peter says, listen, these are the reasons that your life is blessed. You don't have to fear what they fear. You don't have to be afraid. No person is going to topple you. Because you've set apart Christ as Lord. And you've got an anchor of hope in the middle of all that suffering. And people are actually going to start asking why. And then Peter says, but I want you to be careful. I want you to be careful how you respond to them. Because remember, you're incredibly hopeful and they're incredibly afraid. And he said, so when you tell them for the reason for the hope that you have, what does he say? Do it with gentleness and respect. Goes straight back to last week. Not evil for evil, insult for insult. It's really easy to be on the side of things and everybody's freaking out and look at them and be like, you get what you get, man. You were mean to me. The truth is, is that he says, do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, love them well, be kind and compassionate. We talked about last week. And what will happen is they will begin to feel the shame for slandering Christ, not you. That's what he says. And he says, it's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Which is like really pretty easy, right? If you're going to suffer one way or the other, why not just suffer for doing what's right? Have a clear conscience and feel good in your heart. Have you ever suffered at the hands of your own sin? How it's hurt somebody else or how you've hurt yourself? You want to know what suffering feels like. But suffering for having a heart that's eager to do good and honor the Lord is like, if you read scripture, it's like this thing that fills the soul. It's not stripping, it's empowering. It doesn't make it fun. It doesn't make it great. It's still really hard. But there's something beautiful about saying, God, I am trusting you in the middle of all this. It's like this giant exhale of the soul that just says, I'm free. And if the world wants to throw its worst at me, okay. Because, God, I'm not afraid of what they're afraid of. I'm not slave to fear. You are my strength, my stronghold, my light, my fortress. And I believe as Lord, you are in control of all things. And there is nothing, even this thing that's happening in my life, that is beyond your control. And so I trust you and I'm here. I mean, the whole goal of my life is what I just said in 10 seconds. Right? Life's hard. Suffering is real. Sometimes you suffer because you did it. And sometimes you suffer because you did nothing. And how you respond in the middle of that suffering is incredibly important says a lot about what you believe and who God is. And you can have two choices. One, you can be bitter and angry and frustrated that it's happening to you again. Or two, you can see your life as being blessed for a couple of reasons. One, because you don't have to fear what the world fears. You don't have to be afraid. God is your light and your salvation and your stronghold. Whom shall I fear? No one. In the middle of all that, because I've set apart Christ as Lord, I'm anchored in hope. Not hope that the suffering would end, but really just hope. If I could just love my life and I believe I'll see good days, right? We talked about last week. And the world's going to go, what? And I'm going to love the world. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be gentle to people even when I'm struggling. I'm going to be really kind and gentle to my spouse when I'm suffering. I'm going to love them really well. And in the middle of all that, if I suffer for doing good and feeling that my heart is eager to do good, then I'll welcome it. And I'm not going to beg for relief and throw a tantrum. I'm just going to say, God, I, I believe you are you say you are. 
And I'm going to carry it with honor and joy. Because I'd rather suffer for doing good than doing evil. So as we think about these things, we contemplate them, we tuck them into our heart. Part of what we've got to come to this place of is how do I see the world? Through what lens do I see the world when I suffer, when I struggle? Do I see my life as what Peter said? Remember, when you do suffer, you are blessed, truly blessed. And Peter's saying this to a group of people that are scattered all over the world, lonely and afraid, and facing death. Surely me, tucked into my own home and my own bed in the safest corner of the universe, can buy into that truth that I am blessed. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here uh, this morning and just open up your word together. Spend a little bit of time just exploring truths that we know are extremely real and powerful, um, but are hard to swallow sometimes. Middle of suffering, Lord, it's hard to see life as blessing. It just really is hard. Sometimes we can't see in front of us past that first kind of set of waves. And then the next one, by the time we catch our breath, it just comes again and So we need you to reorient our hearts a little bit. To see that even when we do suffer, even when we feel like we are eager to do good and doing right, that it doesn't happen as often, but perhaps it does happen or we're standing in the middle of it, that it is, it is an onus. No matter what that person says or how they come against us or whatever it may be, I'm free. I'm free from fear. I'm free from the yoke of fear. I don't have to fear what they fear. I don't have to be frightened. They've got nothing that you don't promise to cover. You are my light and my salvation and my stronghold, my fortress, the place that I dwell. I've set you apart as Lord, meaning that even when I don't know what life is doing or why it's happening, I believe that you do. Even when I have no explanation for the struggles or the pain, I know that you are still God and that never will change. And because I've set you apart as Lord, I have this hope. Not that things will get better, but just a beautiful hope in you. That one day in your perfect and beautiful timing, you will come back and make all things right and all things new. And there will be no more mourning or pain or suffering or hurt or tears. And you will wipe away every single one of them. And I believe that to be true. And so I will set my hope in that. I will treat the people around me even the ones that are trying to hurt me with gentleness and respect, I'll be kind because that's how you are to me. And Lord, if I suffer, even at the hands of trying to do good, I'll be blessed. So Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you would press those things into our soul. And that as we worship, we may truly sing, not songs that we like, but songs that are riddled with truth about who you are, proclaiming your goodness and your blessing in Jesus' holy and risen and perfect name. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning.